Welcome to Quest for Gold. I'm Ryan Burrow. We are less than two months out from the opening ceremonies of the Winter Olympics in Beijing. And more nations have announced a diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Winter Games. Canada, Australia, and the UK now joining the United States in refusing to send political leaders to Beijing in February over human rights concerns. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying his government, quote, has no hesitation in raising these issues with China, end quote. The relationship between the nations and China have already been sour after Western countries announced the forming of the Strategic Indo-Pacific Alliance back in September. China did respond Tuesday with a ministry spokesman pointing a finger at the U.S. saying it was attempting to interfere with the games out of ideological prejudice based on lies and rumors, adding the boycott seriously violates the principle of political neutrality of sports established by the Olympic Charter and runs counter to the Olympic motto, More United. The IOC weighed in, kind of. IOC Coordination Commissioner Juan Antonio making this statement following the IOC's meeting. We always ask for uh, as much as respect as possible from the political world and the least possible interference on our sports and Olympic uh, uh, world and ideals. So we have to be uh, reciprocal on that. And another statement from the IOC this week announcing it cannot give any certainties about the safety of Chinese tennis player Peng Shuai. The IOC did have two video calls with the Grand Slam champion, but critics say they're enabling a cover-up by China. Shuai went missing after accusing a government official of sexual abuse. Since then, the Chinese government has provided photos and documents claiming Shuai is not missing. The Women's Tennis Association has suspended all tournaments in China. On the COVID front, the Grand Prix final figure skating event, which was supposed to be held in Japan this weekend, was canceled due to the pandemic. The Japanese Figure Skating Federation issuing a statement saying, considering the complicated epidemic situation involving travel restrictions, quarantine requirements, safety concerns, and logistical challenges, the organization of the event was extremely challenging. The International Skating Union says it is possible the event could be rescheduled for the end of the season. Five-time Olympic track and field star Allison Felix met with Vice President Kamala Harris at the White House this week for the White House's inaugural Maternal Health Day of Action. Felix talked about her pregnancy and the battle she waged that was much different than she's used to on the track. I wasn't prepared for this. You know, I didn't know what to expect. And hearing, you know, what other people went through and that hope that they gave me was huge. But I think also sharing those stories lets women, and especially women of color, know that they are at risk and what they can do to prepare themselves. Another Summer Olympic superstar was back in the spotlight, Simone Biles, the world's most decorated gymnast, was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2021, also named the Most Influential Athlete of the Year. It was a big week for Kaylee Humphreys of USA Bobsled. Not only did she complete a sweep at races in Germany in the two-man bobsled with Keisha Love, her teammate, but she also became an American citizen. She needed that citizenship to qualify for the Games after being granted release from Canada. She competed as a Canadian in the 2010-2014 and 2018 Olympics, winning two golds and a bronze. She left Canada after claiming mental and verbal abuse by her coach. She is married to an American bobsledder. In this week's Athlete Spotlight, we talk with American curler Matt Hamilton of Team Schuster. He won gold in 2018. He and his sister Becca will be back representing Team USA in their respective events once again in Beijing. First question, I want to start off the bat. How is the blender testing going? What's How's the business been? It's good. I just actually got back from work getting prepared to do some blender testing later this week. So still a blender tester. Have some other I got another job now as well as curlers. So yeah, just trying to stay busy. I think that's what makes, you know, your 
not only your sport, but your story very unique too. You know, I'm talking with a lot of people and, you know, figure skaters and hockey players, and they're spending, you know, their entire life eating, breathing and living the sport. Um, I don't know if it would be a luxury to be able to do that for you or if, if, if curling has, has always just kind of been a thing on the side. I mean, how have you perceived curling in your life versus the other things that bills that need to get paid and things that need to be done? I mean, so I guess I don't know how much money those guys make, but I imagine that since they're able to just focus on their sport, they probably can make a halfway decent living um, just doing that. So I would love that. That would be great if I could just focus on curling and go throw stones and hit the gym and do it again. But uh, unfortunately for us is the money's not quite there to be a professional. So I've got to do something else. <laughs> well, you know, I want to bring that up because obviously you won gold in 2018. I mean, did the sponsorship money come in? Did people reach out to you? I mean, was there an opportunity for this? I, I would assume that 2018 did move the sport in the United States. So kind of where are we at four years later? Yeah. So I, I would say it's, it definitely, I, there was a really great bump and I had uh, some really wonderful opportunities post Olympics. And then, uh, but a lot of it was like in-person things where I'd go and I'd meet people and shake hands and show the medal off and stuff like that. But that obviously got squashed during COVID. So um, back to work. <laughs> I, I mean, we're, when you guys came back after, you know what, let, let's start here. let Talk to me about 2018. I mean, what was that experience like for you? I, I've actually heard from other athletes, especially the figure skaters who were like, you know, we couldn't eat anything. And then we see the curlers over in the corner. They'd be eating burgers and having a lot of fun. And, and it, it just looked like a lot of fun. I mean, did you have a fun experience when you were out there? Yeah. Um, so since I played both mixed doubles and men's, I had a very busy uh time out uh in uh pyeongchang uh it's pretty much eat sleep and curl was all i did even when my my teammates were like gone out to watch other sports and stuff like that uh it was because they hadn't started yet but i was still playing mixed doubles so it was um it was very busy in that regard but yeah i mean we try and you know we didn't drill burgers all every night, but like, you know, like at the end of the day or, you know, maybe a snack after the game, we'd go over and get like a quick, like one of the small little McDonald's hamburgers. Or I, I uh, mentioned in one of my interviews that after a two win day, I'd go get a McFlurry, an Oreo McFlurry. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure that they have their own kind of like regimen routine that they need to follow for their sport. Unfortunately, for us, you know, as long as we're getting the proper nutrients and eating all the right stuff, you know, we can have a little cheat here, here and there, or maybe a little more frequently. Are you doing a lot of lifting? Is there a lot of uh, kind of, you know, side training that maybe we don't know about when it comes to curling? <laughs> yeah. Uh, people kind of think that we're just like, like there's that meme. We're just a bunch of dads who wanted to get away from their parent or their family for a long weekend and wound up at the Olympics. That's not really the case. I, I do, you know, three days of off ice training a week if I can. Uh, I try and mix my, like, so I got two dogs. So when we go to the dog park, I run laps with them. And that's like one of my days or maybe two of them. And then I'm big into like circuit training, which is where like you, it's very high intensity, but kind of low weight uh, to kind of replicate that sweeping where you're really sweeping as hard as you can for like 25 seconds. And then you got about two minutes to take a break and then you got to do it again, potentially. So I try to make sure like my workouts kind of stay in tune with the rhythm of curling, which is, you know, intensely go and then sweep 
you know, I thought um, I might even like improve that a little bit because when you intensely sweep for, uh, you know, maybe two shots and then you might have to throw, I thought it would be fun to, uh, maybe try and do like an interval workout. And then in between every couple, uh, couple circuits to go over to like a putting green and try and make a touch putt because it's kind of like curling where you got to make like a touch shot, but your heart might still be racing from the shot before. So I haven't actually done that, but I think it would be kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, is there a, is there a general, are, do you have like a trainer? Is there someone who's trying to keep you on something or is it pretty much all just you? So we have a trainer, but he probably doesn't like me because I don't, I'm not super reliable. Like some people are like, okay, it's four o'clock today. That's when I go to the gym, whatever. Like I kind of live my life by the seat of my pants. So like right when we're done with this call, I'm going to take the dogs to the dog park and go for a run because I, they need to run today and I don't have time to hit the gym today. And I, I'm like, I kill two birds with one stone, go to the dog park, do some dynamic warm up stretches and uh, go for a jog. So yeah, that's like, my, like I said, like the, we do have trainers and they, we have nutritionists and sports psych and the nutritionist is actually pretty pleased with me because I worked in a kitchen growing up and I know I kind of like know my way around the kitchen and how to like balance meals. The trainer, on the other hand, has these very regimented workouts and I'm like, yeah, I got to about a third of it. And then I got bored and did my own thing, <laughs> but he's like, well, as long as you're working, uh, it's good. So yeah, but we get tested. Like, I get my weight and body fat tested all the time. And yeah, it's still, we're still like athletes. It's just like we're a different, uh, it's a different sport and there's different like needs and uh, levels of like athleticism, I think, than like, you know, a hockey player. Those guys skate constantly for five minutes and then get like a three minute break and then they got to go back out. Like, mine's more like really intense for 30 seconds and I get about two minutes, but I got to do that for three hours. What, um, what, what did the pandemic mean for you, for your training, for pretty much everything that had to do with curling? I mean, was everything put on hold for you? Yeah. As far as tournaments were concerned, like there was none during the pandemic. Fortunately, I had set up like a home gym, like a year prior to the pandemic. So as far as like off ice training, I was still able to do a really good job of, uh, staying on top of it and not getting that COVID 25 or whatever, whatever they say. And, um, uh, our Madison curling club did not get ice, but there was a curling club about 35 minutes away that did. And they were nice enough to let us like basically have the one to three o'clock hours, like four days a week and just us. So we can like eliminate, uh, risk of COVID per se. So, uh, when I say us, me, my sister who lives here in town and uh, her teammate Nina Spital or Nina Roth. So were you you were able to at least get some touches then, as opposed to just cycle training and right, stuff like right. that. Yeah, I was, I was able to throw a couple times a week. It still wouldn't be as much as like I live five minutes from our curling club here in town, so I get I get on the ice like five to six days a week here, and uh, probably you know three days a week was felt a little off, but you know, something's better than nothing. So beggars can't be choosers. So going back to, to 2018 and, and uh, your Olympic run, your sister was, was there as well uh, with that one. Um, and you guys are both going again, it appears uh, to Beijing barring anything out of the ordinary, I would assume at this point, right? Because uh, you guys just went through the qualification or the trials and yep. both of both teams qualified. Yep. Um, so in 2018, were you able to experience the Olympics in other ways outside of your venue? Did you go check out hockey or 
snowboarding or anything like that? No, like I said earlier, um, we were playing both events. Like our events started the day before the opening ceremonies or like, like at least practice. And then the, the night, um, I think our first game was the day after the opening ceremonies. And then we played until the day before the closing. So of the 14 days there, I played for 13 of them. I might've had one day off there in the middle, but I basically spent that doing recovery stuff and working with the trainer to make sure I was still loose enough to play as much as I did. I, uh, fun fact is I competed and granted, again, I realize I have a different sport, but I've competed longer at any one Olympics than any other athlete because my sport's so long and I made the semifinals and finals of the, uh, the men's side. I think, let's see, I played seven, nine. I played 18 games of curling, which are all roughly three hours long. So as far as like time in competition, like it's not even close. I I competed a ton. So I had to make sure I was fresh for that one day off. I guess this, this leads up to the next question. This is going to be a different Olympics probably than your experience in 2018 with all the health protocols. But it sounds like for you, it's probably just going to be business as usual because you were only there to, you were only there to curl anyways last time around. And then, you, you know, you didn't have a lot of time to play around and enjoy yourself. Doesn't sound like, and this is going to be very similar, except this time it's be, going to be because, be because of health protocols. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's a little daunting knowing with all the, uh, everything going on right now, uh, going over there and doing it, but we're, I'm in the mindset, like control the things you can control and, you know, just go out there and compete. And, you know, I'm not go. I'm not, they're not the United States Olympic committee isn't sending me over to have a good time and see other sports. You know, they want me to play my best and win. So, uh, that's what we plan on doing. And, you know, if that just means we're hanging out in between games and just getting ready to go, then that's the plan. Are you satisfied with the protocols that USOPC and the IOC have put in place at this point? I mean, have they communicated with you about travel and movements and how you'll be tracked and things like that? Yeah, they haven't given, I haven't gotten the full breakdown yet. I think they're still working out a couple of the logistics, but um, yeah. And again, like I realize that our, our governing bodies and stuff aren't going to put us in a situation where we're going to be uncomfortable because one, they're not going to get the best results out of their athletes if they're uncomfortable. And two, it like, it would be, it would just be dangerous and kind of foolhardy to like put someone in a uncomfortable slash dangerous situation. So I'm sure when we do get that, the protocol list, like I'll be pretty pleased with it. I've been extra careful over these last two years, just because I've had other events and things that I didn't want to obviously be sick for. So yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about the, the setup of it, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> have you ever been to Beijing before? I have been to Beijing one time. We played a curling tournament there and we got to see actually some of like the future venues. Like I found, they told us where like the big air was going to be. And it's front of, in front of this big, like industrial, uh, like, uh, ironworks station. So it's very like industrial feel and they're going to light it really cool. And then the big air will go off right in front of that. So, that looks pretty neat. And I've, yeah, I've seen some of the venues. I've heard the, the water cube is being turned into the ice cube for curling. So they're repurposing some of their buildings from, uh, I believe, 2008 was when Beijing held it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're going to do a good job. And, you know, China likes to show off when they have the opportunity. So I imagine that this is going to be a pretty 
epic uh, epic Olympics. Where's your game at and Team Schuster's compared to where it was four years ago? Do you feel like you guys have continued to excel? Or it, even yeah. Steven, have there been dips and valleys? I think, and this is a, no offense to our teammate Tyler, because he was obviously awesome and we had a great run at the Olympics, but I think this team, this te- last four years, this team has been the most consistent team I've ever played on. Um, we don't have the lows nearly the way we did. I feel like we've improved our average because of eliminating those lows. And uh, we got a good team chemistry. So, again, it, it's kind of comparing apples to oranges for our last two teams that we had together. But this team has a lot of fun energy and different kind of energy. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously a part of that. And then we've got, um, you know, I feel like we've been playing really consistent. So, I would expect to have like a pretty good showing out there. I mean, do you guys go in thinking gold or bust? I mean, is that the only mentality or do you just no, try to put yourself no, no, in the no. situ- best situation? No, the, so we're, we're a team that likes to take baby step goals. And uh, obviously the last goal is win the Olympic trials. Now that we're there, it's going to be qualified for the playoffs at the Olympics. Uh, you know, cause once you're in the playoffs, it's, it's lose and go home. So uh, we're going to uh, try and take those that baby steps to get towards that uh, Olympic uh, uh, playoff. And once we're there, you know, reassess the goal. Obviously, it's going to be gold is the goal. But, um, you know, right now we're just going to focus on getting through the round robin and making sure we're in the top four. Is it weird going into these games with the expectations, you know, after winning gold, obviously people want to see it again, right? I mean, at least Americans want to see that again. And maybe, you know, um, I I don't know if your mentality has changed going into these games compared to back in 2018. I mean, going in in 2018, it was kind of like similar things. Like the main goal is get through the round robin, make qualify for the playoffs and see what happens. And uh, right now what we're thinking is – you know, go out, you know, same kind of thing, go out and make the playoffs. Uh, we know that the uh, average American might have certain uh, expectations of the U S curling team, but you know, everybody in the world's gotten better. Like Scotland's got a really great team right now. Sweden is still a player. Canada is sending a really fantastic team. So like, it's not a cakewalk and curling's not one of those games where like the favorite always wins kind of like, like football kind of seems like, like curling's one of those games. Like anyone can win if anyone gets hot or, or if you give a team an opportunity to win and they make an absolute great one, like that's the way it goes. So, um, you know, obviously we would love to, you know, go out there and medal and obviously get on the top of the podium, but you know, we're really excited to be there and represent Team USA. And, you know, however it shakes out, it shakes out. But we're planning on putting uh, together our best performance. What kind of stories did you hear when you came back in 2018 about people watching you guys staying up late? Because if I recall, those were some those were some late matches here in the States. I don't think it was primetime. I think we had to stay up till <laughs> 1, 2 in the morning. Yeah, I think uh, the final ended at like 2.30 or 3. So, it was pretty great. You know, I, I, we had videos of our local curling clubs sending us like they had watch parties and there's, you know, a hundred people at the curling club watching the game on the projector screen, which is incredible to watch. But then you hear, you know, I'll just, I would have gone out and done tournaments or like maybe even speak engagements and people would be like, Oh, you're the U S curler. Like I stayed up and watched you. Like I was so hooked when we found out you guys made the finals. Like, so it's really neat to hear that. It's, it's, 
interesting to see the kind of reach, the different reach that Olympics brings and how many more people like can be engaged in your sport. And I think people really are drawn to curling because we're mic'd the whole time and you can hear the entire conversation and everything. And people like kind of like that inside, uh, that inside the, the ropes kind of feel of the game, I think. Do you, do you see an acceleration of the sport in America? I mean, I can imagine the last four years, I've, I've, let's just say I've become more aware of the curling clubs that are in Chicago and Wisconsin and, you know, Michigan than, than I ever was before. I'm assuming people are going to them more frequently. Well, there's, there's that. And then they're popping up out of nowhere, like Nashville, uh, uh, former NFL quarterback, Mark Bulger just built a curling club in Nashville uh, which is not a hot spot for curling. <laughs> um, Los Angeles got dedicated ice. Like they have their own rink now. They used to borrow a hockey rink like one day a week or two days a week. And now they have their own rink. Like Arizona's got a curling club. Texas has a couple. Like they're really out there now. Um, and I'm starting to see more of like instead of curling clubs, I'm seeing curling centers where it's kind of more of like a bowling field where you can go out and rent a sheet of ice for like an hour and go play where most clubs is you got to sign up to be a member and then play in league. So they're a little bit different, but I, I feel like this center idea lets people like give it a spin before they like commit like an entire season to it. So I think it's great. I think uh, curling's really growing and hopefully we can just keep that momentum rolling here after 2022. Yeah. I think the key to growing a sport, what I've realized talking with some athletes who are trying to build sports, a women's hockey, for example, it's trying to reach really the youth and I, yeah. I don't know if, if that's been something that, that curling's really tried to do in the United States. I mean, it's as far as like, you know, equipment and ice time and things like that. I, I assume it's more accessible now than it was to younger people even four years ago. Right. Well, I think um, obviously ac- access comes along with or goes hand in hand with like uh, proximity to a facility. So like the fact that there's more of them now, I feel like there's more opportunity and uh, it's one of those games that you have to like hear about it to like know about it. You know what I mean? Um, so with that 2018 gold, I feel like it really raised the exposure level and people actually like saw it out. Like, Hey, where's my nearest curling club? How can I get this, give this a spin? And um, you know, that's how you get the juniors involved and young kids involved is you can see parents seeing it and, you know, hopefully they want to bring their kids down and give it a spin. Uh, I had, a, I was in a junior league in Madison. Uh, I did, you know, go down every Sunday at like one o'clock and play juniors with all the other kids from Madison that wanted to play. And, you know, I think a lot of clubs have similar setups like that. So any way that we can grow that and really nurture those uh, young athletes who, you know, who knows, maybe one out of 50 have a dream of being an Olympian. So that's, you know, that's good numbers. Well, you know, the, the funny thing about that is, is that, uh, you know, 10, 20 years from now when the, you know, we've got the next, you know, a few Olympic cycles away, there are going to be curlers, American curlers who say that they got into it for watching you. So, you know, that, that's got to be interesting to think about is that, you know, you're, you're, you are inspiring a generation of, of curlers and probably growing the sport more than you're even aware. Yeah. Uh, the, the hope is that I'm growing it like the way you're describing, but the, the beauty of it right now is since curling can be like a very casual game and you can just do it on weekends or do it every Tuesday night uh, to get you through the winter. I've had a lot of people reach out saying, Hey, I joined my local curling club because of watching you. So like, it'd be really interesting in a couple of years to see like 
who makes it to that super high level and is like, Hey, you are actually my inspiration for that. So n- nothing yet, but like for now, I've got a lot of people that have, uh, I've, they've occupied some weeknights through the winter because of what we were able to accomplish. So it's pretty fun. It's pretty cool to hear. Well, what's the plan? You're, you're not going to be able, obviously your sister's going, but family will have to stay back in the States. Have they told you guys anything about viewing parties, watching parties, things like that, that maybe USOPC's putting together like they did in the summer? I think I heard a rumor about something, but it just came from Schuster. So again, like, I don't know what the whole story is. I heard that they might try and do like a, so like every Olympics has a team USA house where a family of athletes and then people like big donors can go and watch the games. And typically it's, you know, at the Olympics. Well, I heard a rumor from Schuster that they might be doing something like that in park city. Okay. So they'll have like a team USA house here in the U S like a remote and they'll obviously have the games on and obviously the time zone will be crazy. So it's probably going to be 24 hours, but, uh, could be pretty neat like i i it'd be really neat if something like that was going on but if not i know my friends and family are gonna get together anyway and watch around here so you know i know they'll be watching i'm not super concerned about that i don't we don't have fans and stuff at every one of our events so it's not going to be too outside the norm to go to china and play without our fans and family watching so what are the next steps between now and february then for you. So we've got a tournament in Eveleth, Minnesota and like a media day. And then we've got the U S national championships as kind of like a tune up. Um, and if we win, we'll go to worlds, which are in Las Vegas. So hoping to, at least, so those are the two tournaments prior to the Olympics and then the worlds would be after. So, you know, hopefully we get to play in all three, but we got two locked in for sure. And hoping to just, you know, stay sharp, stay frosty and just get out there and, give the best performance and be prepared for the Olympics. How long are you going to let the hair go? Uh, so <laughs> I'm glad you asked because this is going to be a plug for the charity I work with. Um, okay. I work with this charity called Staff Strong. They're out of New York, uh, nonprofit. I know the guy who started it and nobody at the company has ever taken a dollar. Like every single dollar donated goes to grants for brain cancer research. So what the plan is right now is I was going to grow it through the Olympics and try and get a little buzz behind it. And then I was going to try and take donations to get it cut. And then once it's cut, I'm going to donate the hair to a wigs for kids foundation of some sort. Very cool. Where can people follow you online? Are you social media savvy at all? Yes. Yes. And I actually, I just got a Reddit too. So I'm just, I'm adding to the the repertoire of uh, social media. So you can follow me on at Matt Jamilton, Matt J-A-M-I-L-T-O-N on Twitter, Ham's Curl on Instagram and Ham's Curl on Reddit. So those are the, the three places I'm on. Still trying to figure out Reddit. It's a tricky place. So maybe maybe you and uh, Schuster can start doing some TikTok dances. And yeah, we we talked about starting to TikTok. So maybe we'll have a Team Schuster TikTok here eventually. But for right now, that those are just my personal handles. We have a Team Schuster handle, so find those. And uh, yeah, you know we're super engaging. Like if you message me, I will message you back. I'll see it and I will send something back unless you send me something ridiculous. But if you just have a normal question about curling or something like that, I'll do my best to give you the best answer I can. So 
reach out. I love it. Of course, we'll continue to follow Matt's quest for gold over the next weeks. Special thanks to producer Connor McKnight for this episode. I'm Ryan Burrow. We'll bring you a new episode of Quest for Gold next week as we march closer and closer to the 2022 Winter Games. I'll see you then. 